You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 98 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, part of Equine Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. Brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. On today's episode, we're learning all about Arabian horse racing with Arabian Jockey Club TV founder, Jonathan Horowitz. We then go west, well, technically north, and no, I'm not apologizing for this pun, to chat with cowboy dressage clinician Jody Bush to learn about the history of the Bozal or Basel or however you'd like to say it, and how it could be the training tool you didn't know you needed. And last but not least, we connect with Winnie Morgan Nemeth of New Vocations to bring you an adoptable horse of the week. Stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Joy Orr in Detroit, Michigan. And this is Kristen Kovach-Bentley in Jamestown, New York. And you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Kristen, we're already towards the end of February. Spring is in sight. It's not terribly far. How excited are you to have daylight after like 6 p.m.? It is really nice. I almost didn't turn the light on before we started recording because we record in the evenings. And uh, if I hadn't done that, it would have been dark by now. But I think we're getting to the point where I'll be able to record without the overhead light on, which is a big deal. I'm so excited. I mean, just the fact I'm waking up and not darkness, there's like a little bit of light that's starting to happen. I'm like, all right, seasonal depression, melt off. This is I don't. I don't want to jinx it too soon, but jobber's starting to shed. So Astrid is Astrid decided that she was going to like pre-shed. It was super cold. It was like the beginning of February where all the temperatures had dropped. She was like, you know, that's a really good idea for me to start losing all of my winter coat that I don't even have to begin with. Mm, helpful. Very helpful. Like, God, you just got to keep stressing me out, but that's okay. Yeah. Just- I mean, I did look at the 10 day forecast and I think by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be cold again. But today, at least, I was like, this is nice. Yeah. I, I mean, if Weatherbeetle would love to sponsor this podcast or, you know, horseware, anyone, I'm open. I'm open for it. <laughs> I will say one sign of the season was that I took my trailer in for maintenance. So you're that so means responsible. Well, I'm also like super paranoid and I'm not like a uh, kind of, I'm not the kind of person who can do a lot of my own maintenance. Like I, I do not know how to pack bearings. I don't know what that means. I just take it to the professional men and let them do it. And they're fine. And I'm happy to pay them for their time. So. There's nothing wrong with being a damsel in distress. <laughs> Sometimes it pays off. I'm going to just say it. Yeah. I, I do think these guys, they know me by name now. And I think it's because they're like, oh God, here she comes every time I come in there. Um, but they always treat me well. So I'm going to go with it. <laughs> I uh, I haven't done all that. I am getting all of my tack cleaned up. I'm being a lot better about it. I will say I'm motivated by a big local tax sale that's coming up. Ooh, are you but selling am, or buying or both? Ah, selling. I'm actually like Good really trying hard to do like a no spend February. Hmm. That, that's a nice I, idea. I've only broken it once by buying two pairs of pants for a new job I'm starting. But yeah, I, I'm I trying feel to think like, I'm that, like that's like a soft 
gray cross, like a, yeah. that's a gray area, but I have not bought anything for my horse, despite all the amazing Valentine's day sales that came up and now we have president's day. And I'm just like, temptation's hard. I thought president's day was just like for furniture. Isn't that like the furniture holiday? You're not going to the right horse websites. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. I did I'm buy, like, um, I bought I a bunch of a sale uh, anywhere on anything. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've I've not spoiled my guys in a while. I did get them all uh, fecal egg count tests, so those I are coming soon. I just signed my horse up for that, and you know what, listeners, you should too. Do not deny the fecal egg count test. It's only worth a little bit, and worst case, get the kit from Dover or whoever. If you yeah, to, if you yeah, to that's pay like the bet. trailer maintenance, right? Like, yes, I know I could go get a microscope and figure it out myself, but I'm quite happy to just pay a few dollars and. Put it away we did in the a mail. great episode about it. I can't remember the episode number, but go ahead, search for it at our website. Um, we talked to Worm Guide, I believe, out of Australia, all about the importance of checking for fecal count oh, and I how remember that it'll one. save the planet. Yes, it's a good. Yeah. One. Yep. Get it done. Yep. And then we're gonna do. Uh, we're pulling Coggins this week, so we're yeah, we're getting like spring cleaning kind of ready Isn't to go. It funny that there really is like maintenance for horses or spring maintenance. Like I just got our vet set up to do Coggins and our initial round of shots, and you know everything's about to change. I got to change our farrier appointments to get them a little bit uh, more free closer. Yeah. Summer. Yeah. 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 No, it's time. And yeah, these are positive signs of the season, even though there's snow in the forecast still, yeah. the days are getting longer. We're getting all geared up for the spring. We actually, we signed up for a clinic <laughs> for February, which is very risky. And now of course the forecast has changed. And I think there's a good chance we'll be driving in the snow to the clinic, but it's, it's fine. So I am starting I think, uh, this episode oh, well, comes out scary. the day before we go. So, yeah, so you might have some snow in there, but you know, just warm your wild rag which everyone Kristen kindly gifted me a wild rag i have my first wild rag and yes i will embarrass myself on the internet for you of learning how to style it <laughs> yeah we'll do a we'll do a i don't know if we'll do a facebook live but we we'll definitely do a zoom session on how to tie it so how to tie it and how to embarrass me further of simple task yeah, so you're welcome, but also thank you on behalf of all of us. So this Forever is like a really mean, like backhanded gift, right? I'm like, here's this thing now. I mean, it is beautiful <laughs> though, and I cannot wait to style it. <laughs> the colors really spoke. I was like, this looks like joy. Like I like it. I really do. Yeah, like there's it. some nice blues and grays and and yeah, like traditional, but also modern and tasteful. Yes. I so. thought it was pretty spot on. I thought you got me. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. It's your Christmas present. That's two months late because that's how I'm rolling this year. So I'm never going to complain about a free scarf, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm super excited. (laughs) The horse maintenance is done. Christmas presents still on their way out. It's fine. Yeah. Hey, you know, we've always put ourselves last as equestrians. That's something that we all should get better at. I mean, I probably need to go do my spring maintenance for myself. I don't like even I know could, what that means. What is I that for a person? I I could probably use a doctor's appointment. Dentist. Yeah, I'll dentist. go to the dentist next week. Yeah. Hey, you are yeah. a step ahead of me. I haven't even scheduled my appointment yet. Yeah, yes, I there. do get my teeth cleaned, everyone. I just got to get my, my next six months. Don't worry too much. <laughs> We're doing it. We're doing the thing. We're, We're doing the thing, ourselves. but I'm definitely more proactive about my horse than I am. I'm always like two or three months behind my horse. <laughs> Yeah, as we should be, right? They come first. Everything about them comes first. first. You know, she really doesn't understand how great her life is and everything I do for her. It's all right. But we don't need to get into how my horse has this glorified life as yours, Kristen, because I saw your horse on Instagram. He is chonky in a cute (laughs) way. 
<laughs> he's he's a little thick this winter. Yeah, he's a little, been a little baked together. potato running around New York winter. <laughs> yeah, that that's accurate. A baked potato. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, he's. he's <laughs> Our uh, our roped cow count for this year is up to eleven. Jobber's been keeping it together when the rope comes out. I don't I I don't know if he's enjoying it. He might be because if we're roping, he seems very focused. But then if I turn him loose, he's like a maniac. So he's content with his caloric intake. That's what's happening. <laughs> that must, must be it. <laughs> you know, when he was on the track, I don't know how he didn't kill anybody because he was kept in a stall. You know, like as they do on the track. Like if he's this wild and he lives out 24 7 i cannot imagine this animal in a shed row situation trying not to murder exercise riders well the thing is i don't know if anyone told you he didn't try that well i don't know so i got him from his exercise rider and she was like Uh oh he was always my favorite to ride in the morning he always was so safe and secure and then i connected with his jockey on uh facebook and he was like oh my god he was awful in the winter so they were definitely not all on the same page about Jobber in the winter, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's speaking funny. of uh, connecting with jockeys and, and honoring the racing past, we have a really fun social segment for later. So, if you guys mm-hmm. are not following us on social media, make sure you do that. We're Retired Racehorse Radio on Instagram and Facebook. So, you too can participate in our really fun listener polls. So, that's coming I mean, up just as a little this, teaser. This whole episode's pretty exciting. Like, I'm really stoked for our guest today because we're kind of going off the rails from our normal conversations. We're going to be talking about Arabian racing. We get into like the Western side of Bozelle's. And I'm like, I know nothing about that, Chris. Like, absolutely nothing. So, I'm super excited to learn about that. And then, yeah, we're going to wrap it up with a standard bread with Winnie. It's, it's just going to be a really cool episode. And I can't wait to dive deeper into it. Before we do that, we're going to hear from our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. If you've ever had a horse with diarrhea, you know what a frustrating problem it can be. Finding an ingredient that works to dry up the diarrhea becomes a high priority. It turns out that researchers have found one, a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii. It has been proven to improve and halt episodes of diarrhea. It supplies specific nutrients to the lining of the small and large intestines, and these nutrients promote healing of irritated tissues. It also supports improved starch and sugar digestion in the small intestine, reducing the opportunity for imbalances to occur in the hindgut. Nalox Advanced, made by Kentucky Performance Products, contains Saccharomyces boulardii, along with a blend of fermentation solubles and stomach buffers. Nalox Advanced is recommended for horses of any age that are suffering from diarrhea. It also supports a healthy digestive tract in horses at risk for gastric or colonic ulcers, such as performance horses or any horse that is constantly on the go and exposed to stressful situations. For best results, Nalox Advanced should be fed on a daily basis. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, Joy, our next segment I'm very excited about because this is another listener request. We've been hitting a lot of listener requests recently, uh, but we had listeners who really wanted to learn about Arabian horse racing, and I knew just the person to reach out for. Um, So we have with us today Jonathan Horowitz, um, who 
personally, I think of as the Arabian horse guy uh, in the folks that I know. But as you guys listen to this segment, if his voice sounds very familiar to you, and it's because he also is the announcer, not only at Arapahoe Park, but for the Thoroughbred Makeover. So every time I hear Jonathan, I think of the makeover. So it is very fun for me to talk to Jonathan outside of that setting. So Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, when you asked me to come on to talk about Arabians and Arabian horse racing, it was kind of cool to think about what my equine passions are because addressing this audience that uh, may recognize my voice as the announcer of the thoroughbred makeover, but uh, also to be very involved with Arabian horse racing and now to work with the United States Eventing Association. So if we're talking thoroughbreds, Arabians are eventing, uh, you have my full attention. Yeah, you wear so many hats. I mean, it's actually, it's incredible the kind of, you know, I was span say, that your career Jonathan is taken. like come on our show and just be a new host here. <laughs> yeah, just like Jonathan Horowitz, <laughs> Renaissance man. So <laughs> so how did you get started with Arabian horse racing? Like that is not admittedly the first thing I think of when I think of horse racing. Like most people probably think of thoroughbreds, um, but it turns out we do race Arabians. How did you get involved with that sport? So the first racetrack that I announced at full time was Arapahoe Park in Colorado and Arapahoe Park races thoroughbreds quarter horses and arabians so to be able to announce a variety of breeds and arapaho at the time that i started working there in 2011 was attracting some top class arabians to come to colorado horses of the year stakes winners darley award winners and in my position as the announcer i was also promoting the racing successes that, that came through Colorado. So I started talking about all these great horses and covering them and getting their stories out. And it gave great recognition to the Arabian breed to the point where the Arabian jockey club that follows and promotes Arabian horse racing on a national scale started noticing what I was doing in Colorado. And it was the president at the time, Kathy Smoke, who saw that I was getting Arabian horses mentioned in the Denver Post and doing videos about them that went on altitude sports. And she said, well, if you can do this in Colorado, you should do this for us nationally. So then I started working for the Arabian Jockey Club. And my very first assignment in 2016 was to go to Abu Dhabi to cover the richest Arabian horse race in the world at the time, the Sheikh Zayed Jewel Crown. And then from there, I started traveling all around the United States and then all around the world to cover Arabian horse races, which I'm just incredibly fascinated by the racing, the horses and the people. And just like working for Retired Racehorse Project to broadcast the thoroughbred makeover has become a passion. I would say it's exactly the same with the Arabian Jockey Club. That was uh, quite a learning curve to go right to the like biggest, richest. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> across they, didn't, the world. they didn't give you like a what? toe dip. It's just, like chucked you fully into it. Well, now that I'm actually uh, thinking back to that moment, I was actually in Lexington a a announcing the third makeover when I was sorting this out with the Arabian Jockey Club and um, Kathy, uh, the, the president that I mentioned. She said, well, we're going to, you know, get you started traveling in some of the races for next year. But 
do you think you can go to Abu Dhabi in like three weeks? And I was like, uh, yeah. So, so no, no, it's all coming sure. back to me. So like I had my passport with me. So I put it on like the hotel bed and took a picture and sent it to them. And then they sent me, um, the flight. So yeah, actually, now that I think about oh, it, God. I started working for the Arabian jockey club while I was in Kentucky, uh, announcing the thoroughbred makeover back in 2016. It's just wow. all racing, just racing stuff. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so, totally normal. I know, yeah, like this is this is just a normal life, just a day in the life of Jonathan. <laughs> so, you know, we typically think of Arabians as having endurance, right? Like, so they're the go-to horse for endurance racing for, you know, like 100 miles uh, or 50 miles. Um, so on the track, are they racing them at, you know, the same like thoroughbred distances, like sprints and the classic distances, or are they doing like longer multi-mile races on the same track? Around the world, you generally see Arabians racing in longer distances because that's where the breed excels. Mm -hmm. In the United States, the races are primarily at sprint distances, um, but some of the top American bred Arabians will now actually go and run overseas so that they can get those longer races on dirt or on turf. And yeah, I mean, that that's the strength of the breed is, is the endurance and their longevity and how they hold up. Um, in the U.S., you'll see mostly sprint races, but uh, it, it, the, the Arabians excel more. And I think you bring out more in them when, when they are running at longer distances. So that does reflect kind of the the strengths that the breed is known for, um, both within and outside of racing. Hmm, okay, that makes sense. So I'm very curious now, and I, I have a two-part question for you, Jonathan. I'll start with part one. You know, we think of the thoroughbred racing and how the typical confirmation that we're seeing, they're built leaner, very tall to cover ground. I grew up with my parents breeding Arabians for sport horses. So it was always about getting that very dished, um, accentuated face and having the short back and being able to perform as like a, a Rainer or Western pleasure horse. What, it, what are they breeding for in the racing world? Because when I look up a racing Arabian, it is not what you see for you know your typical show horse in the Arabian world. Arabian racing didn't, start in the United States until 1959. So within the last 70 years. So now it's only been relatively recently that Arabians are being bred specifically to race because the Arabian breed is so dynamic and can be used across such a variety, whether it's, you know, for their looks in a halter class or for pleasure or mm -hmm. for sport. And now for racing, breeding for a specific type of purpose will want to accentuate certain qualities. So for Arabians, they're bred when it comes to racing for their speed. Um, so there, there's kind of now been a shift if you're breeding, say, for show or sport or racing. So yes, the Arabian racehorses look different, but that's because when they're bred, they're not bred mainly for their looks. They do happen to be quite good looking, um, but but they're bred for their speed. So you see a lot of different lines that have developed the Arabian breed. And I would say when it comes to racing, the influence of the 
Polish lines. And if you go back Mm -hmm. and you look at some of the famous Polish Arabians, you know, the ones that were rescued in World War II, you you see, (laughs) oh, uh, yes. I mean, you see more of that hardy racing type look. And that's, that's what you're going for um, with, with the race breeding. And that's why I would say if you have an Arabian racehorse, they're going to look much differently than an Arabian halter horse because Mm -hmm. of the purpose Mm -hmm. for which they're bred. I love you said that, Jonathan, because you're going to make my dad so happy when you hear or when he listens back and hears the Polish bread um, praise so well by you because that's his favorite as well. And that's what we were breeding. Um, so my, part two of my question then is we talked a little bit about the differences in track and the, the U.S. has these more sprint based Arabians. And then when you travel globally, they're more endurance. Do you see a difference in the breeding outside of the U.S. versus U.S. bread? And how does that work? Well, actually now, because with Arabians compared to thoroughbreds, um, it's much uh, more, you know, with AI, uh, you're you're seeing actually in the United States breeding lines um, that have been influenced from all over the world. Uh, So, and and the uh, American bred Arabian horses um, are particularly strong. So actually now a lot of American bred horses are going overseas and doing well in races like the Saudi Cup and the Kahala Classic. You know, there's all these million dollar Arabian races. And looking back over the the last year, there's a horse named First Class who was bred in the United States and he was a champion in the US. He won a six furlong race on dirt as a a three-year-old, which is the year that Arabians can start racing. And now he's racing overseas. And his last win was in a $1.2 million race at a mile and three eighths on turf. Um, So to have, and that's a strength of the Arabian breed is that you can have an Arabian that can win a sprint on dirt and then can go around on turf. I mean, it's really amazing because you you won't see that in thoroughbred racing to have a, a graded stakes winner from six furlongs on the dirt to a mile and three eighths on turf. And when I was um, in Dubai in March and on the broadcast for the Kahala Classic, and, and this horse won that, the uh, broadcasters asked me, they said, well, that seems really special. And I had to stop and think. I was like, well, yeah, I guess it is. But it's also not that uncommon either um, with the breed because they're so versatile and they're so sturdy. And it's a reflection of, of the great qualities in the breed that come out when you put them on the racetrack. It's interesting. You mentioned they don't race until three, which I know, you know, that's a common criticism in thoroughbred racing that, you know, oh, they race at two, they're racing too early. Mm -hmm. So is that because of the way the breed itself matures as an individual, or is that just a rule, you know, that they set for, you know, sort of overall health reasons or both, I guess. It's probably some type of combination. I mean, it is the rule. You, you, you you don't start racing them right. until they're three. That's when the the first year that they're offered. But I I think it's uh in the long uh you know in the big picture sense um it, it is quite beneficial. Now Arabian horses can start racing at three, um but there are great Arabian race horses that run you know well into their seven eight nine mm-hmm. the the horse that's the most accomplished uh in American Arabian racing history, Paddy's Day, three-time horse of the year, 
mm-hmm. multiple grade one wins in the United States and, and around the world. He just retired in December at the age of 11, and he happened to win a graded stakes race at the age of 11. So that's also really special about the Arabians is that when they're successful on the track, it's not this rush to the breeding shed that you see in thoroughbred racing, but you'll see these horses continuing to run because of how how sturdy the breed is. And also because um, with breeding rules, Paddy's Day was actually serving as a stallion uh, and still running on the racetrack at the same time. So he, he was he was a very special horse. Now, and I know that he initially he retired with you, right? Well, yeah, he uh, he's on our farm now, um, which is incredibly special for me because his career and my career have intersected. So I announced his first race in Colorado in 2014. And then I've been all over the country, all over the world covering him. And when he was getting ready to retire, um, he was making his last start at Lone Star Park in Texas. And I was down there to announce the race and um, have been in touch with his connections and uh, did um, say, hey, you know, if circumstances are where you need someone to have the horse for a bit, we would do anything for this horse. And they're like, you know what? Why don't you, uh, why don't you take him to your farm, at least for the winter? Cause, uh, they, they still want to stand him as a stallion. Um, but that's been really special. Uh, and so cool. yeah, to, to have a horse that, um, I've gotten to know and bond with on the track and now he's, uh, at our farm and, I ride him. Um, our nine-year-old son Chase rides him, and uh, I'll give a, a little bit of an update in that uh, he's now going over his first little cross rails, and 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 it's the coolest thing. I mean, this is an eleven-year-old Arabian racehorse stallion that was a three-time horse of the year, and he's so game for it. And so we're like, yeah, you know, we have no expectations for what you do here, but. Uh, you know, if you enjoy going out and being ridden and he likes to roll in the snow and, and roll on the hill. And and so, yeah, he's uh, he's now kind of putting his talents from the track into to doing other things, which is exactly what we all advocate when it comes to retire racehorses. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I was like, I, this name sounds familiar. I swear I've seen him. Oh, yes. On Jonathan's Facebook page. <laughs> so, oh, that's so I mean, cool. it's a trip like you know, uh, to walk outside and be like, Oh, I know you. Um, and that, yeah, he, he is somewhat of a celebrity and like, you know, I get asked by say Dubai racing club, Hey, send us, you know, videos and stuff. But honestly, like we treat him like he's part of our, you know, super G sport horses eventing barn. And, uh, the, the plan is actually depending upon how long we have him, um, that, other people will ride him. Maybe he'll get used in lessons, you know, as long as he's happy and enjoying doing it why not give him something to do? Because it does drive me nuts a little bit. You know, you, you take a a racehorse and you're like, great, you've done all that we need you to do on the track. So let's put you out in a field and you can go, you know, imagine like if you're a, you know, you, you win the Super Bowl and you retire and they're like, all right, why don't you just sit on the couch and, and, you know, eat candy all day. It's like, no, like, they, they, they're going to want something to do. And in this case, it's been pretty cool to take a horse who has done more than anybody could ever have asked him to do, um, but just kind of see what he likes to do. And it turns out he enjoys being ridden and enjoys doing these little jumps and it's all new to him, but uh, it, it's been a real special experience to have him. Yeah. Just Amazing. the logical next step. That's great. 
so um is there like an Arabian aftercare scene? I was like, going like, you know, like, 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 how still, do I adopt yeah, one, John? Yeah, how do you even connect with one? You know, like, <laughs> it's not like we have like a, you know, new vocations for Arabians, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm just not in the right circles. But how does one connect with a retired racing Arabian? So there is a pipeline in the sense of the most natural sport for an Arabian racehorse to do after they finish racing is endurance racing. And mm-hmm. this okay. past year for the sense. Tevis Cup, um, one of the most famous endurance races, I think it was like five or six out of the top 11 finishers were former racehorses. Oh, so that's that's the most common um, is to to have the horses go from racing on the track to endurance. Uh, but the Arabian breed being as versatile as they are, we we got a horse off the track from Arapaho Park in 2021 named AA Two Face, and we're in a venting barn, so we're like, hey, let's see if this horse events. Turns out he loves to jump, uh, and he evented last year, but he also actually still likes racing. So we brought him back to the track to race, mm-hmm. um, just because he enjoyed it. So we evented and raced. Uh, simultaneously. Um, And (laughs) the thing I've learned from eventing and, you know, announcing different horse shows is I'll talk to, you know, a lot of the different judges and, and um, riders and officials. And it seems like every one of them has some story about an Arabian that evented. And that just speaks to how cool the breed is and how versatile they are. Um, So yeah, we're, we're now promoting the Arabians that event uh, with our horse AA Two-Face and then seeing all the different Arabians that that event at the shows that I'm at around the country. Oh, well, let me know when you have a nice dressage prospect, Jonathan, it sounds right up my alley. (laughs) Well, what, um, and we call him Dose because his his name is AA Two-Face. So yeah, he was racing and eventing at the same time. And one of my favorite photos is after the first race that he did with us, you know, the horses come down to the trot and then to the walk. So he's coming back after finishing the race and jockey brings him down to the trot and he goes into this really nice frame because he's like, Oh, that's what I do at the trot. (laughs) So so he, he compartmentalized very well. One of the things we did is if I would, so like, if he was in eventing training, he had his eventing tack. And then if he was race training, he had his race training tack. So I remember last year doing a dressage schooling show on him, one of his first ones. Mm-hmm. We did that. And then we went back to the trailer. I put his racing tack on. And then we went and galloped up the hill a bit. So that, that, that was such a, a, a blast to, to have that experience. I find it so interesting because I think in the thoroughbred world, it's it's just not common where they can go compete as a sport horse, then go to a race and then come back as a sport horse. I mean, maybe that's happening, but we're not really hearing about it. It just shows the stamina, endurance and versatility of Arabians. It's why I've, I've always appreciated and liked them, but um, it, for them, it's just play. I honestly think they just think they're playing every day. You hit the nail right on the head and, <laughs> Um, the case of our horse isn't unique because as he was doing it, I would talk to different Arabian trainers around the country and they were like, yeah, you know, this whatever grade one winner, like he would get bored in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So we'd have to tack him up and take him over to Fairhill. Uh, and and I think it it could happen more um, with thoroughbreds if given the opportunity, but the, the demand um, for racehorses is is a lot and, and mm-hmm. it, sports in general the the tendency is more to specialize 
Um, and and for us, it was more fun than anything. It's it, it, but it, the fact that it was successful is a testament yeah. to to the breed and to what kind of brings out their best quality. It just gives it like a little bit more of a like attainable like grassroots in a good way, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah, like you know that attainable feel of like anyone can get involved with this. Like thoroughbred racing, I love it, but it has, you know, certainly this elitist kind of connotation of like the normal person cannot just go buy a thoroughbred racehorse. Not easily. Right. And I I think actually probably more people could, you know, at a lower level track, but like this just feels much more of like, like a family thing, <laughs> you know, like we have our racehorse and then we also event him and, you know, he gets a well-rounded education and then, Well, that's, I love what you said, Kristen, about the well-rounded education. Cause I almost think like how much easier or maybe more of a natural flow of the retraining into the new sport would be to have that break of a regular routine and kind of treat them more like sport horses versus just race horses. And yeah, anyone who's like very diehard race horse is going to come after me. Please flood my inbox. I don't, I don't really care. But I, I do think for horse welfare and their mentality and, you know, in um, one of our very first episodes, Jonathan, when we started the show about four years ago, we talked to Travis Dowdle. He's a racehorse trainer in Australia, gets thoroughbreds. And what was different about him is he took all of his thoroughbreds out galloping on the beach and took them on trail rides and let them be horses first. And they were placing consistently. They were excited to be racehorses when they got to the track. And I feel like a little bit about what you shared with your horse, almost being an experiment in the Arabian racing world. It's very similar of they're just happy. They're well-rounded. Yeah. I mean, racehorses, regardless of the breed are all young. So you realize you're working with a, a young athlete and they're not thinking like, I am a competitive athlete and this is my identity. Like they're, they're just going out and doing what's asked of them and and you hope they enjoy it. So um, think about it from, from their perspective and and from um, some of the horses perspectives. Yeah. They may very well enjoy, like, you know, instead of the same routine over and over, just break it up a little bit. Um, And, and, you know, every so often, like you said, take the horse out to the beach, give them something new or take the horse over, you know, a a pole or two, or take them trail riding. I'm just, you know, to kind of, recognize that what would be in, in, in the very best interest of the horse from, from their mental outlook. I do want to say something about what you said, Kristen, which is a tremendous point about Arabian racing is how accessible it can be. Um, there's a breeder of Arabian racehorses, um, Susan Willis and Cindy Charlie, and uh, the first two horses they have bred have gone on to race in grade one races at Churchill Downs when the UAE president cup was there. And then now that it's at the Preakness that their horses are racing there too. So that you can breed a horse and have a relatively small operation and be a part of an amazing atmosphere by having your horse run at the Preakness. That's much more attainable with the Arabian breed than it is with the thoroughbreds because the entry point is so much more inviting when when it comes to Arabian. So yeah, without having to make that huge investment, you can be part of a, a grade one race um, with 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 your horse. Now I can't I let that. my dad listen to this episode, Jonathan. He's <laughs> up getting a racing Arabian or something. <laughs> yeah, but, but then you is... can use that same horse for dressage. So that's true. Play. It could become a, a family thing. It'll be his pipe dream. Although yeah, it's just yeah. an investment. 
it's an investment, Joy. <laughs> it's true. It's, honestly, though, like probably Zach would be my partner would be very excited to have his own racehorse that he can go out and ride and play with too. So, Jonathan, I have to ask, as we don't get to see Arabian racing the same way thoroughbred racing is accessible, like we see it on TV when there's the Derby and the the Preakness, all of that. How, what's the best way someone could? watch an Arabian race and what's captivating about it? Why should someone go see it? So in the United States, the main hub for Arabian horse racing is in Texas. And there has also been in recent years, um, besides the special event I was just mentioning at the Preakness, um, Arabian racing circuits in Colorado and California. Um, And then around the world, you do see Arabian racing on a bigger scale and bigger stage as part of the Dubai World Cup Carnival, um, as part of the Saudi Cup and the Amir Sword Festival. And I would say for people that want to learn more about Arabian horse racing, or at least just see it, um, what I do on the Arabian Jockey Club Facebook page, as far as covering the races, telling the stories of the people and the horses, showing the behind the scenes. Uh, I'm pretty proud of the way that We've been able to cover uh, Arabian uh, horse races from uh, all around the world and and to have the chance to travel to Saudi Arabia and to the UAE um, and to have coverage of races from France and uh, Qatar and basically all over. So kind of start with that and and then uh, see see if it's something that's appealing. But there's a lot I find appealing to Arabian horse racing in terms of the looks of the horses, how long they race, how they race all over the world and have these rivalries that develop. So it's something that I think once people get to see it, uh, they they can appreciate that there's some special things involved. And that's great that there were readers or sorry, not readers, um, listeners who, uh, who wanted to learn more about it. So thank you for having me on. Thank you. Well, I just gave the Arabian Jockey Club a follow on Facebook and it's very cool. I can see a race in Texas. If you scroll down, it's from five days ago. And at first glance, you would think they're thoroughbreds the way they come out of the gate. And there's a lot of passion coming through. And I'm excited to learn even more, Jonathan. I, I feel like we're going to have to have you on again if you would ever be so kind to join us. Oh, yeah. No, I'm a huge fan of having worked with Kristen. Um, for, first time uh, meeting you, Joy, but but uh, I'm already a fan, so so I think we're we're all friends here. Uh, and yeah, I, I'll tell you a quick story back relating to the retired racehorse project. I was talking a few days ago with Richard Lamb for an article I'm writing for USEA, and to remember that thoroughbreds trace their lineage back to the foundation stallions that that are Arabians. He was working with a horse. He told me, and he just assumed it was a. Uh, thoroughbred and then he found out later that it was actually an Arabian. So yeah, there are similarities um because at the end of the day the the breeds are genetically related. That's funny because I tell people all the time, you know, I ride my thoroughbreds in a ranch setting and I tell them all the time like, well, the quarter horse is really derived from the thoroughbred, so I just went right to the source, but what you're telling me is I still have to go back yet further to really get yes. to the source. It's funny so if I you should be riding Kristen. People actually ask if thoroughbreds are truly descended from Arabians. I'm like, that one's actually true. I knew that little factoid because my yeah, get that big me. wheel thing out. Those yes. big uh, the wheel, yes. Charts. I love those things. 
I'll get sucked <laughs> into those for hours. <laughs> well, Jonathan, where can people follow you to see where you are in the world and where's your uh, latest adventure? Well, uh, by the time that this uh, show airs, I'll, I'll be in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And yes. <laughs> following uh, the Arabian Jockey Club um, to to see the coverage from the Saudi Cup. Um, as far as myself personally, uh, my social media accounts are at JJ Horowitz, but uh, Super G Sport Horses is our farm. Um, Horowitz on OTTBs for Pollock Report, working for the USEA, uh, and the work for Retired Racehorse Project at the Makeover. So. Uh, if there are horses, I, I will try and be there. Yes. And, <laughs> and I'm very grateful when people invite me to be there. So um, th- thank you again for, for having me on the show and letting me share stories about what I'm passionate about. Well, thank you so much. I think we've learned a lot and hopefully our listeners enjoy this too. And we will come and take a selfie with you at the makeover. Amazing. Uh, and maybe I should bring in a rapier. You do. I'm bringing my trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. I'm here with Tony from Cashel. You all know it from the ads you hear all the time on this show. But I, we're at the trade show, and this is the p- point of time in the year where we find out what's new coming out. So what's Cashel have new coming out? Oh, we've got a, a great lineup of uh, 32, 34 wool top pads. So t- describe them. Uh, five different colors, real vibrant, bright sharp looking pads what are the, what makes them different uh well it's the fill the 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 wool felt on the inside is a natural felt and the fleece on the bottom is a hundred percent merino oh really okay so th- these are soft and squishy pads well not real squishy but soft and and they do absorb shock and and saddle fit what would they retail for what are those that's you about know. 119. That's the right price. Yeah. Anything else new with Cashel coming out? Oh, we've got uh, more saddle pads coming in the fall. A uh, new strap line coming in the fall. It's uh, a two tone that looks great with a, a great buckle set on it. There's we're always in development, so there's so many things projects in the works. What's still your most popular product? Is it still always the same things year after year? Uh, fly, you bet. Yeah, fly, fly that's what we all. That's, what, that's how I knew you in the first place was fly. Fly masks. Yep. Yeah. Many years ago, uh, we were primarily fly masks and kind of had some tush cushions and a few odds and ends. Today, we've broadened that offering to saddlebags, uh, strap, head stalls, breast collars, bell boots, um, leg protection, and the, the it continues to grow. Is there a place where somebody can go and see all the products? Uh, Cashelcompany.com will give you a good offering. There you go. Well, thank you, Tony. It's been fun seeing you again. Hey, thank you. Good to see you. Joy, I'm very excited for our guest today. Uh, this is based on a listener request. So I posted, I think, some time in the past couple of months on our social media, just a picture of my little standard bread, Wes, um, in his Basel setup. And we had a listener comment like, please tell me more about this tech. Uh, I would like to know all the ways of of this particular piece of Western equipment. And in my mind, I was like, I have the perfect guest for this. So we have with us today, Jody Bush. She trains horses and teaches clinics in Saskatchewan, Canada. She would describe herself as a horse crazy 4-H kid who never grew out of it, which 
Same. Jody's worked in many parts of the horse industry, including a couple of stints at the racetrack, and she's dabbled in many disciplines. She spent time at cutting and reining barns and worked with dressage and jumping trainers. Jody's current focus and specialty could be described as foundational riding for all horses, with an emphasis on helping challenging horses overcome those challenges and giving young horses a good start. Although she rides all breeds, thoroughbreds are her passion, and the process of restarting a horse off the track and creating that strong foundation for a new career is her favorite thing to do. If you've ever gotten to see Jody work with a horse at the makeover, she is a beautiful rider, extremely talented, and we're very, very happy to have her with us. So, Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. A uh, longtime listener, first time caller. So, I'm happy to be here. Oh, fun. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, welcome aboard uh, our crazy train. So I'm super excited to geek out with you about Basel's today. <laughs> I have to I have to pause, Kristen. Is it Basel's or Bozell's? Well, see, I, I was like, we're, we can address this right off the bat because I don't know that there is a right or wrong in my experience. I feel like it's Jody, like a, you know? a territory-based, like regional thing. Like, yeah, I think it's a, it's a territory-based thing. It's also depends on uh, who you learned from, uh, really in this, like in this tradition, you'll see people use different words for things. So I'd even go so far as to say, we're going to talk today about a hackamore, which is a bozal or a basel with a macardi or a macate. And again, it, those words are all dependent on where, where you're from and who you learn from, but we're all talking about the same thing, I think. And um, well, I trust can you say more than I trust my dad, Jody, because he always told me it was Bozell's and I'm like, I'm going to ask someone who actually knows what's going on. <laughs> I've had this debate before with a whole group of people and it was like pretty much split 50, 50 down the middle of like who said what and where they learned it from. And it was a little bit geographic too. So yeah, that might be a, a geographic thing as well. So Jody, describe, so if listeners have never seen this, and obviously we're not working with a visual medium, so this is a fun challenge, but what does this rig look like? Like if someone walks into a tack shop, what do they see on the wall? Yeah. So um, when I talk about a hackmore, and I know that word can be used to describe like a mechanical hackmore or various bitless bridles, even like a rope halter hackmore, some people talk about. When I'm talking about a hackmore uh, today, we're going to be talking about a Bozelle and a McCarty. So those two things together make up the hackmore, and that's that's the entire rig. rig. So the Bozelle is a rawhide core that's braided over top with either rawhide or leather or rawhide and leather. There are some, and I would say that these are very much not the traditional ones and not the ones I would recommend, but there's some that have uh, other styles of core. But for the purposes of what we're going to talk about today, we're talking about rawhide core with uh, leather rawhide braided over top of it. It looks something like a teardrop shaped noseband. It's firm, but not stiff. Like there's definitely some give to them. And then the McCarty is basically your reins, but it's a special setup. It's tied to the bottom of the Bozal. There's a, like a loop rein, and then there's a get down rope or a lead rope basically that comes out the front. So when you're riding in your hackamore, if you need to get off to do something, uh, you've kind of got that built in, built in lead rope. And the, so here's another difference. So I've always pronounced it Makati. Um, those can come in horse hair if you're like super traditional or all sorts of other materials. Like I use a nylon one just because it's easy to clean. Yeah, for sure. Horse hair is traditional. And I like, I love horse hair. 
Um, if you live in a really wet climate, horsehair is not ideal because when you get it wet, it becomes very stiff. Um, but where I am, it's dry. And so horsehair is really nice. It has a nice feel. The horses feel it on their neck really well. And then you can have anything else, um, basically anything round. So you can have nylon rope, yacht braid rope, rope climbing rope, um, braided paracord. A lot of people use kind of braided paracord. It gives it the same similar feel to mane hair because it's braided, but it doesn't have that same um, issue if you get it wet. Yeah. So yeah, and anyone who's like, what on earth are they talking about? We are going to put some pictures on our social media too to make <laughs> sure to to back all this up. Um, and of course, you know, if you look back in our either account or Facebook, Instagram, or um, in our story from time to time, you'll find the whole rig on some of my horses as we go. So the difference with a Basel versus other hackamores, because you're right, a lot of people are like, oh, a hackamore or, oh, a bitless bridle. And when I get those comments, I'm always like, yes, but, (laughs) and it's in that like, yes, but part, I think is where the difference between this particular hackamore rig and other sort of the, the world of bitless bridles, there's a lot of difference there. So how does the Basel action work that makes it a little bit different from, let's say, like a mechanical hack or even just a rope halter? Yeah, so so a hackmore, uh, the idea with a hackmore is that it's like a signal device. So the horses are supposed to, in this tradition, they're supposed to respond off of signals. Um, so there's not a lot of uh, direct pulling. There's not a lot of holding. It's, it's uh, all about signals and the way um, the hackmore is balanced on the horse's nose. Uh, when you pick up the rein, the horse will feel that because of the balance. And when you release the rein, it releases very quickly. And so it's not a leverage device like a mechanical hackmore is, uh, but it it does pull from underneath the horse's chin. And so there it does, it can incur- encourage um, sort of those like shorter flexions in some ways because of the balance. It's not a like a constriction device, like some bitless bridles, you'll know. Um, when you pull on them, they will actually constrict on the horse's nose. So it doesn't do that. It fits, you know, something like a hat and it's not the same as say, uh, like a halter or a side pull, which I use halters and side pulls all the time. I do like them. Um, but it, it just has a different kind of a signal. It's not quite as lateral as say a side pull, for example. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, um, especially with the signaling, you know, because of the weight and the balance and the way these things are constructed. And yeah, all this is doing is giving me ideas for things to put on social media. But, you know, we're going to have to, you know, show a video of how the action works on these because you're right. You know, as soon as you lift a rein, that's going to give the horse a signal. And it's up to you as a rider, of course, to be very wary of the signals that you're giving. So um, I, hit on one word that we've both repeated, I think at this point, it's tradition. So, you know, it's kind of fun to me to have this piece of tack that is not just a piece of tack, you know, it it is part of a longstanding horse training tradition. So can you speak a little bit more about that? Because I know that you are a huge aficionado of this whole process and and how unique it is. Yeah. And, and not so much even just a piece of tack, but a piece of art. Um, yes. And that's, that's something that I love about it. I'm not a bling person, um, but I do love the fancy bits and the fancy braided nose knots and all these things. So um, I love the idea that I can get 
you know, an artisan to make me a piece of tech that's going to be similar to something people were using, you know, hundreds and probably hundreds is fair, at least a hundred years ago. Um, so the tradition comes out of California and it's, it's sort of based out of a Spanish writing style. So it was the Spanish folks who um, came to California and established the big ranches, took the Spanish kind of style of writing, which would be, you know, in that sort of bullfighting kind of style. So that Baroque, um, a very upright horses, that nice arch necks. So they took that Spanish style and they adapted it to the California ranches. Um, and it was a, a tradition that was very much about like getting a job done, but also the pride and the artistry of the horsemanship, of the gear, um, of the training process, because it's a training process that is meant to take many years. Um, for English people, I think we would compare this to like the development of a dressage horse. Uh, where you might end mm -hmm. up riding your horse in, a, in the double bridle eventually. And that would be akin to, you know, the bridle horse tradition or the vaquero tradition, trying to develop their horse uh, into riding straight up in the bridle. And that in and of itself, now we're going to have more people being like, oh my gosh, what on earth does that mean? So yeah. <laughs> don't worry, because we're already planning a part two <laughs> to revisit this tradition. Um, but, you know, speaking back to the the tradition of this tack and, you know, how it's it's been going for hundreds of years off air, Jody, you mentioned that you had um, a pretty unique set of tack that was really meaningful to you. So tell us about that. Yeah, that uh, that goes back to uh, when I first got my horse, Joe, for the 2018 Thoroughbred Makeover. And that, Kristen, is where I met you and Jobber, yes. of course. Um, so I had a, there was a clinician, he was a cutting horse trainer, um, clinician, traveling cl clinician up here in Western Canada, named Dave Smith. And I rode with him a lot as a kid and a teenager. And uh, he just taught me so much about horses and and riding horses and getting along with horses in a way that's really, you know, kind to the horse. So when I was looking for my thoroughbred makeover horse, he, uh, he came with me and he helped me actually pick out Joe. And when he came back every so often, um, when he was in town, he'd stop by to, to sort of see me and see how Joe was doing. And I was riding Joe in kind of a cheap hackamore, the best hackamore I could afford. And, uh, he said, that horse is too good for that cheap gear. And he brought me this beautiful bridle bit and two reins setup. And he just handed it to me. And he said, you ride him in this in Kentucky. And I said, well, I can't afford this. And he said, it's a gift. And you can give it back if I ever need it again. Now, he was so old at the time, I, I knew that was his way of saying it was a gift. And uh, yeah, I rode Joe in that. And I rode um, Papa Al in that also in the freestyle at the makeover in 2021. And it's just, a, uh, it's very old. He bought it in the 1940s in the States. Oh my gosh. Somewhere in the States. He couldn't even remember where. So it's very old. And the reins, um, they're braided rawhide reins and they are so ornate and beautiful and uh, really special. Oh, I love this. 
Ooh, yeah, I so- have little shivers too. Ooh. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I love that. Same here. Like, this is beautiful. And I definitely feel like I'm getting teary eyed. <laughs> yeah. You sound like you are joy. It's a- I know, okay. it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> But I love that comparison, you know, with that and and bringing along the dressage horse, um, you know, because I know we do have a lot of English-based listeners who are familiar, of course, with that long, slow, careful, thoughtful progression of a well-schooled dressage horse. So you don't just pop the double bridle on them right away and trot down center line like that. <laughs> that process takes a long, long time. So, and the, the hackamore is meant to be a step in that process. So if you're following that traditional vaquero progression, do you start with the hackamore and then move up from there? Well, that is a million dollar question. And uh, (laughs) that really depends on who you ask. Uh, I don't think there's a right answer. Uh, I've done, I've done either. And so there are those who would say that traditional uh, vaqueros didn't use snaffle bits. And that may be the case uh, that the snaffle bits came a little bit later historically, but snaffle bits have certainly been used um, within that tradition uh, for a very long time. And so some people that follow this tradition will start their horse in a snaffle, then use a hackamore, then they'll progress to a two rein, which is um, a small hackamore underneath your bridle. So that's traditionally a a spade bit it doesn't have to be a spade bit but a solid bit so you use uh the hackamore for most of the time and then you might pick up on the bridle reins every once in a while use the bridle reins you fade that to where you're using only the bridle reins and eventually you ride your horse straight up in the bridle which means that you've gotten rid of the hackamore and you just have um usually what they call an under bridle bozelle just to show um, it's, it's, it's sort of decorative. It might be used also for leading the horse to some extent, but it's to show that the horse has progressed through that, through that process. And that would take like a number of years for sure. Yeah. I think this is one of the reasons I'm kind of drawn to this tradition because like it takes the time it takes and it's okay if you're in one quote unquote stage or step for a long time. Like yeah, I'm only just now getting to the point where I'm comfortable not in the snaffle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's not a <laughs> one year later. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go, you can go back. So if you're, you know, if you ride your horse in the bridle for a bit, um, my, one of my other mentors calls that test your teaching. So you go and you ride in the bridle for a while and you, you find out what the holes were when you were riding in the two rain or the hackmar. And then you mm-hmm. can go back to your hackamore and you can fix that. And then the next time you ride in the bridle, it's a little better. And it's kind of, I don't know, iterative, I guess, is the big word that you would use to describe that. You can just keep going back, circle back. Yeah, that's how I've described the hackmore to people as well. Like that is the hole finder. Mm-hmm. So if you think you've been tooling around pretty good in your snaffle, as I tend to do, then, you know, when things are going pretty well, pop that hack more on and just see like, is your horse actually listening to your seat and your leg? Or are you just pulling him around by the bit all the time? So you can tell how this usually goes for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be doing that as well this summer. I think in 2021, I think in one season I showed jobber in the snaffle, the hackamore, and then 
he's not in like a full spade bit. It's the it's just a, a curb, but I do use the Ramel or Rommel. That's another word you can pronounce a hundred different oh, yes. ways. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I've gone back and forth, you know, even in the course of the same show, depending like, okay, that class didn't go well, let's try this next class out, you know? So, so yeah, it is very much a, a cyclical kind of, it's a good reminder that training does not progress in a straight line. We'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so accurate though, just for everything the show is about, especially yes. with X resources that it's never a straight line. It's a, it's a no. very curly cue all over the page. <laughs> yep. Loops everywhere. Yes. So uh, independent of this, you know, very cool Vaquero tradition, which we could talk about for a long, long time. Um, who else would be a good candidate to give a hackmore like this, as opposed to, you know, a side puller, a mechanical hackmore, like who should give the Basel a try and how do you try it for the first time? If you've never done this before. Yeah. So, uh, I would say that it it can make anyone a better rider. And that's really like if you said, why, why should I use a hackmore? I would say because it forces you to be a better rider. And if you're a better rider, your horse is going to be better. It it prevents you from taking shortcuts. It prevents you from skipping steps. It means that you can't manhandle the horse um, or intimidate it. You have to actually teach them. So it it makes you a trainer. And I think anyone who's interested in uh, restarting thoroughbred is probably someone who's interested in, in being a trainer, even if you're not a professional trainer. And so I think the benefits that you can get from learning to use it can just be huge. You can't pull on a hackmore. Uh, the horse will learn to run through it really fast. And so it makes you use your seat and, uh, your body to control their speed. It makes you use um, bend to get your downward transitions. Uh, it makes you, it, and it keeps you really, really honest. And I think one thing about thoroughbreds, and this is, there's many ways to restart a thoroughbred, of course. And I'm not even going to say this is the best way, but I think this is an excellent way. Is part of what they do is their RPMs are always a little high. So they're revving high and then we're holding with the reins. And that's what they're used to at the racetrack. So they're sort of revving higher and then you're holding the reins and they don't find sort of that, just that neutral rhythm. And the dressage people would talk about that as sort of a rhythm problem. I think when they're talking about the training scale, if you just continue to, to pull and have a tug of war with them, it can be really unproductive for a really long time. But if you can let go and ride them on the buckle and use loops and circles and bend and one rein uh, to kind of help them find that neutral, you can kind of reset how they feel about rain pressure much more quickly. And then you can use your reins for productive things like steering and balancing uh, rather than kind of constantly using 60% of your rain pressure just to manage that sort of revving engine. And the Hackamore is just a beautiful tool to facilitate that transition for them. I'm going to listen. I'm just going to like lift that sound bite and listen to it when I ride my standard bread in it, because that's re-inspired me to be a little more mindful of how I'm using it with the standard bread. So have you ever worked with a standard bread, Jody? I have. Yep. Not straight off the track, but I've ridden standard breads that were pretty recently retired. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love them. I do. Yeah. And I think this can be a really good tool for them as well, as, you know, depending on their background. So the one I have um, was an Amish cart horse for, I think, probably about 15 years before I got him. Um, and he didn't have much of a mouth when I got him. So I just was like, well, let's give this a go. You know, instead of me constantly pulling on the bit on you, we're going to just take the bit away. So that's maybe not the most conventional traditional way to use the hackamore, but it, it did work to sort of reprogram him. But I know I've gotten heavier on it in the past year and, you know, he just gets heavy right back. So, yeah. so I just, yeah. I'll take that little Jody sound bite to uh, remind me to stay light and let him loop around and, and yeah, revisit how this actually works and do it the right way. I absolutely <laughs> so, love this. You. And I'm, I'm very curious to try it, but as as everyone knows, I'm I'm a little baby dressage princess. I I'm pretty soft with my hands, and I like to do a lot of like low and long stuff, like getting my horse to go on the buckle. But she still has that bit. She still has that like comfort emergency stop. Should I need it? How can someone who's not a Western rider feel a little more comfortable with trying this out, especially if they have an X race horse? I mean. It's it's like having a Ferrari and you're never sure if you're going to accidentally put the gas pedal all the way down. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I have two answers for that, Joy. And the the first one, maybe, maybe people aren't going to love, but the first answer is uh, you can't stop them with the bit if they don't want to stop anyway. And uh, I've been run away with by racehorses. And if they really don't want to stop, like the, the bit is sort of, a bit of a crutch for people because we feel like we have probably more control than we actually do. So I would say all of us are probably better riders uh, than we think we are if we if we just think think about what we're doing as we're doing it. And then the second thing is you can teach all of this to the horse on the ground first. So that sort of lateral bending off the hackamore can be taught on the ground. It can be taught off a halter doing groundwork. And if they really understand that they can bend and stop and bend and stop on the ground, then you're going to be so, so much safer on the back. And you're not going to get into that situation where, you know, you've got this, this funny thing on your horse's nose and now you can't stop it. Um, So yeah, I would, I would say, give it a try and think about trying it uh, from the ground first and make sure that it kind of is working on the ground. I think that's a great suggestion and much smarter than what I recently did was like hopping on my horse bareback in her halter and was like, this is safe after a week off <laughs> and she doesn't know um, nose pressure or anything like that. But um, I think it'd be really fun to try. And even in that, she went off my leg much better than I expected. So there's a little confidence boost to try this out. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never met your horse, Joy, but I somehow just from watching her go in videos, I just have a feeling that she would really enjoy this. So I think she probably would. If you make anything a game, she is willing to play with you. It's when it becomes work is when um, you get some spice out of it. She's not a worker, but she will play. <laughs> I was just going to say there's one more reason, um, specifically with the thoroughbreds, that I think a hackamore can be such a wonderful thing. And again, this maybe applies to all bitness, bitless. Um, type riding is that we tend to have these thoroughbreds that come off the track with funny little bit habits like the chomping and the twisting and the lip flapping and all of that stuff and I have found with like a number of thoroughbreds off the track now 
that if you ride them in a hackamore, and I think this would apply to other bitless bridles as well, suddenly um, that will go away and you can go back to using the bit a year later and they don't have those same, um, same sort of weird habits. Ooh, okay. So yeah, my poor husband's going to have to use the hackmore now. I know. <laughs> so is your so poor thrilled. friend Joy. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's always content. That's the great thing. All of it creates content. <laughs> but so, this has Jody, been absolutely fascinating. For, really has been. Yeah. So for people like Joy, who are now inspired to be like, I'm going to go out and get a hackamore. Um, are there resources available for how to fit one properly? Because they are not really a one size fits all kind of a tool. You do have to fit it to the horse. So how do you recommend for people who are looking for more information to get started or figuring out how to size one for their horse? Where should they go? Um, there should be lots of, of um, websites. I don't like, I don't want to be an advertisement for, um, for Martin Black, but his website has some really good information of, about, you know, fit where they sit on the nose, uh, how they should fit, how you shape them, how you tie them. Sort of a, an 11 inch hackamore is a pretty standard size, but your big, big headed thoroughbreds might need a slightly bigger one. I have a 12.5 inch one that I tend to use on the bigger horses. Um, they're made for quarter horses generally. And so they tend to just be a hair on the small size for our bigger, bigger horses. And you can adjust them. One of the beautiful things about them is when you tie your McCarty on your hackmore, you can add and remove wraps so that it fits either, you know, more snug or more loosely. And so although one size doesn't fit all, you can definitely fit it to a variety of horses by adding and removing those wraps. Mm, okay. And I, I still need to watch a YouTube every time I do that to make sure I'm doing it the right way. <laughs> because do you always, is, I'm going to face always untie it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I tend to leave it tied, especially because it's a nylon. So I'm like, well, this is fine. But I, I do have to change the wraps if I switch it from West to Shorty because um, they're just two different sort of like muzzle sizes at that part of their face. So yeah. so when I do, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I've got to go back to the old YouTube, but um, thank God for that. I don't know what the traditional vaqueros did, but it certainly wasn't consult the YouTube. So thank God for technology. Yeah, they probably did it three times a day. So it makes it easier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they knew what they were doing for sure. So Jody, in general, um, are there you know good resources or, or clinicians that people should follow if they want to learn more about this style of horsemanship? Um, I think if you sort of the usual suspects would be like the Martin Blacks and the Buck Brannemans. Uh, there is the old books by Ed Connell are sort of your go-to books. If you're into, into reading books, um, Jeff Sanders has uh, some great books, uh, really great history books about the history of California and how this all the tradition came to be. If you're into history, that's a great one great one to look at too. I love that. And where can listeners find more information about you and your horsemanship? So I've got Jody Bush horsemanship on uh, Facebook. And then I've got a little sort of side Facebook page for the thoroughbreds, which is called Good Start OTTB Training. So they could check out either of those. 
Wonderful. Well, Jody, thanks so much. I am re-inspired to try to do better with my hack more this year. And hopefully we've inspired Joy to go out and get one. Sure have. I'm curious now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Jody, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Kristen, we just had the Thoroughbred Makeover in October. We've had a little bit of a wind down, but you have some exciting news from the RRP. Tell us what's going on. Yep. So you guys are hearing this on February 25th. We are recording this on February 15th. And if you are a Thoroughbred Makeover trainer, you know that is the day that trainer announcements come out. So today was a fun day of rolling out trainer announcements. We're very excited to welcome 512 trainers to the makeover this year. I feel like it always goes up like every year, which I guess we are having a double makeover again. Who would have thought? Not so much a double makeover, but we do have the broodmare division, which is going to compete alongside the traditional retiring racehorse division. So that is what I meant, Kristen. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So they have their own pot of $10,000 that they're competing for, but they're going to compete alongside the regular horses. So ideally, if you're looking at the field of horses competing, you won't be able to tell visually which ones are the broodmares. So we're going to see how that goes. This is the pilot year for the broodmare program, but we're very excited. We've had a bunch of people already committing and we have horses already signed up. So if you go to the rrp.org slash entries, you can view all of the trainers who were accepted this year. And as they register horses, those horses are going up on the website. So we've got some really cool horses on there already. And of course, plenty more to come. So given the nature that it's, you know, a green horse competition, obviously those numbers are going to change a little bit. Uh, But as of right now, those 512 trainers are signed up to bring 536 horses. Wow. So we're looking forward to a great makeover again. I'm looking forward to our next batch of spotlight riders, Kristen. Oh my gosh. This is going to be so much fun. (laughs) I can't wait to meet them. We haven't met them yet, but they're already our family. So we're excited to uh, connect with some new trainers this year and hopefully maybe revisit with some of our old ones because it looks like some of our old friends are back again for a second or third or fourth year. So stay tuned. We'll have more on the makeover soon. Kristen, I absolutely love everything that's been happening on Instagram lately. Like we have the best followers also on Facebook too. Like you guys have been chiming in as well. And I know you set up another fun question, kind of playing off what we did last episode about our barn nicknames for our horses. Tell us what you asked this time. Yeah. And this can be a little bit of a hot topic sometimes among the retired racehorse set. So I was interested to see how our listeners responded. So first I asked, do you compete your horse with his jockey club or USTA? So standard bred registered name. 78% of respondents said, yes, they do. 22% said no. So next I wanted to find out why that was. So the second question was, why or why not? Um, And we got some interesting responses to that. So (laughs) Kind of the standard was it fits her and it's not embarrassing. So always a winner. Lucky then, because I'll tell you, I'll ruin it for everyone. I was a no. I do not use my horse's Chucky Club name because I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yours was like, I was a questionable. So, um, (laughs) you know, and there's like responses like that. It's not terrible. It's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, And then we get into some really good responses. So, and these are ones I tend to agree with myself. So um, Rochelle Martel responds, I kept her jockey club name as her show name in honor of her famous grandmother. So of course Mm. I didn't ask what the horse's name was, um, but if this horse is descended, you know, from a well-known 
racing mare. Like that is awesome to keep that name as the tribute. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from our girl Lee Beamer. I like her jockey club name and honoring her roots. And it also makes it easier for her track connections to find her if they were ever interested, which That's I think Lee point. has turned around. Lee is listening to this probably is like, don't call me out. But I remember she was not sold on hot girl summer initially. I, know. And I, think, I think we impressive. really hyped her up though. Cause I'm like, it's literally the best jockey. I, like, the best I wish my ever. horse's name was hot girl yeah. summer. Lee, never change it. Okay. Uh, Dewey's mate, ex-racehorse, responded, it's bad luck to change a name. I'm so superstitious, and I'm proud of his past. That's a great Not response. alone there, Dewey. Not alone. Yep. Uh, you responded, because I hate it. Yep, we've been there. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a two-part response from Star G Barrel Horses, and I know who she's talking about. So first off, it's the coolest. So she has Cowboy Swagger, uh, mm-hmm. who won the makeover in 2019. That's a pretty yes, badass name. That is the coolest name. Uh, secondly, someone put a lot of thought into that name. Um, and I owe the person who named that horse their part of the story, which I think is a really thoughtful response. You know, like someone mm-hmm. did breed and name and raise that horse to be something. You know, and just because that's not what that horse is doing anymore doesn't mean that you don't still honor that part of their Those are so thoughtful. So, yeah, we got some smart listeners, man. We got to step mm. it up. Uh, I had to, this is from Colleen Nolan, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. I had to change mooses because it's horrendous, but I always try to keep their jockey club or trotting association name so that their connections can look them up and follow along. And it's too hard to think of a new name. <laughs> so true. Fair. Yep. I do know, I think Moose, his, if I remember this, his jockey club name is like run D S C it like doesn't make any sense to anyone. So I can understand changing that one. Yeah. And uh, the last one, this is awesome from Beebling beadwork because I cannot top the name flu powder and who would want to. That is a good name. Yep. I'm just going to drop the mic on that one. Just letting that like little Harry Potter nostalgia (laughs) sit. (laughs) I love that. And I have met flu powder. He's cool. So you should definitely continue to call him flu powder. He can't ever be called anything else. I love it. Well, if anyone wants to get their own shout out on the show or participate in any of these fun conversations, because I will say we started out with only a couple of responses and, you know, those, those eight, 12 people who are always there, we see you, we love you. Thank you. But for all the newbies who've been like coming in and adding their voice, thank you so much. Cause we really do love engaging with each and every one of you, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook and feel free to just message us individually. We love that too. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Retired Racehorse Radio and join in on the party. Don't miss out. Don't have the FOMO. Well, I still have failed to get a proper theme song for this part of the show, but we are back with new vocations. And today we have Winnie Morgan Nemeth, who runs the standard bread side of things new vocations. Welcome back to the show, Winnie. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to have you. And I know we normally start with a training tip, but you are doing something very fascinating today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what, where you're at and what you're doing? Sure. Um, I've been in Springfield, Ohio today, attending the Blooded Horse Sale. Um, it's run by the Blooded Horse Sale Company based out of Kentucky, Wilmore, Kentucky. And um, it's a small sale. They ran through about 210 horses today. And it was held in Springfield, Ohio. It basically was uh, racehorses, some broodmares, some coming two-year-olds that just turned two. Um, So they kind of look like yearlings, some mares in foal, just a whole menagerie, but all registered standard breads. Um, This is primarily a racehorse sale. So people that were there 
are either looking for racehorses and there are a lot of Amish there. Amish are also heavily invested in in both harness racing and the breeding business uh, is using for buggy horses. So there is just a wide variety of horses. Uh, I saw like some of the coolest things was I saw a few really pretty chestnut standard breads. I don't usually I see like those. That's not too. very mm. common. Like they're almost <laughs> always black or bay. Right. Some pretty chestnuts though. That was cool. Um, some mamas heavy, heavily in full that are like, oh, they look like they're going to pop their dew in a in about a month or two. Um, so some farms, you know, just don't need all these mares and babies. And of course, they're looking at those as, as race prospects. So um, quite a few Ohio breads. We had some Pennsylvania breads, you know, for those wanting to race there. So it was, you know, it's always interesting to see what is in the sale and, um, you know, like I said, you can buy a racehorse that's racing. You can buy one that just retired, or you can buy a mare in full, bird mare, two-year-old, kind of what the sale was. Well, it's definitely not the same as Keeneland, which most of our listeners are probably familiar with. I mean, I don't know who doesn't know the Keeneland sales, but it is very interesting to hear kind of a smaller size sale. And I, I would imagine there's some real stunning looking horses who are there. there. Is there any that caught your eye that you're like, man, I wish that horse was in my barn right now? <laughs> Not at this particular sale. I would say this is a good lower um, level. Like I said, there's Amish there. So um, it's not a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good entry level. I know people that have purchased their first standard red race horses there to race. Um, but we do have those types of sales. Those are all in the fall. Um, like at Fazic Tipton in Lexington in October, um, that sale will run for five days. Those horses can sell for a million dollars on the first wow. night. That, that's when I see the babies and the prospects that I'm like, I wish I could have them. I would say today, if any, just my heart goes out to those broodmares. I saw some beautiful broodmares, you mm. know, very well taken care of. They looked wonderful and, you know, some were in full to some nice studs. So that would probably be what I would have liked if I was buying mm-hmm. something today. <laughs> So I always feel like there's always a little bit of a gamble when you get a, a mare in full. That's also so exciting. Like, yeah, I know, especially I, I watched dream horse last year when it came out and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like I want to just have another little baby. And then it just, it does miraculous, amazing things. Like I'm by miraculous and amazing for me. I'm just like, it gets up and runs around and like fills my heart with joy every single day. But right. I know. <laughs> so yes, yes. <laughs> you know, that dream, getting that inspiration is always really cool and exciting for people. So absolutely. Well, so much fun. And I'm sure we'll see some of those horses potentially end up at new vocations when their career ends, which is going to be also exciting for you to almost get a sneak preview and maybe remember some names. Yes. Yeah, possibly it's happened for sure. Um, We used to, you know, it used to be nice that people, if they were going to come to the sale and they had a horse to donate to me, they could bring it along. And then, you know, I would make sure that it got shipped to one of our new vocation farms in Ohio. So we can, we kind of offer that too. We had a table there. And so we had some of our t-shirts for sale and, you know, it's just good to network and talk with people too. Love it. Well, speaking of new vocation horses, Winnie, we are talking about such a little cutie patootie and we have today with us rockin' somewhere tell us a little bit about rockin' somewhere so rockin' somewhere is a cute little package of a horse <laughs> he is by um a rockin image who's a, a beautiful black stud that stands in uh, indiana out of a sun beach somewhere mare who was like pop piecing bread line 
He did quite well for a young horse in Indiana. Uh, he only raced 29 times, but he did um, two years ago as a, at the end of his two-year-old year, he did have um, to have a screw put in his ankle and he just did not come back like he should have um, to really compete. So the owner sent him to us um, and he's got the screw in the left front, but due to the pounding and he was still in training, our right front ankle started bothering him. So that's why they retired him. We have, you know, x-rayed it and looked at it and our vets feel he will be a hundred percent in probably eight months to 12 months. Right now we're just riding him at the walk. Um, he gets turned out. And so we're promoting him as a rehab horse, but down the road, I feel, you know, things look good that he'll be able to do. I mean, he's probably not going to be a jumping horse, but like a trail horse or like we're showing him as an in-hand and obstacle horse. He loves it. He's fearless. He is, you know, going over poles, backing through poles, side passing, and also going through the gate with like a rope gate. So you can watch his video and see what he's doing. And, you know, if somebody has the patience and is wanting a young horse that that's really wants a job and is willing um, and maybe not, you know, ready to be trotting and pacing or cantering, you know, giving him a little bit more time to mature and, and grow up, he's going to, you know, be a very nice horse for sure. He's so cute. I'm watching his obstacle video right now. And he looks like he's ready to go to like an equine trail sports event like, yes. tomorrow. Yes. Like, yes. Oh, he's I could so easily careful. see him being a cute Western horse or just, you know, depending on the right fit, because I do see that he likes to have some of his own ideas in the descriptions, but overall <laughs> he he's very, very pleasant, but he could be a really cool 4-H horse someday too. Oh, definitely. Yes. He has so much potential and he's so young. Um, you know, he was jogging great, you know, with no problems, but I just knowing what he's kind of been through, just giving him some time to continue to mature is just going to benefit him. But we've got him started really well under saddle. And, you know, it's just been really fun to see what he likes to do. Yeah. If you that. guys are listening to this and feeling like, you know, leery about it, go back and listen to our new vocations panel, um, you know, about the quote unquote limited horse, because, you know, they're really not that limited no. as it turns and out. <laughs> I will add in as just like a personal experience. My horse has plates in both her front legs and screws. And she was cleared to jump up to three feet. She's actually cleared to go back to racing. So there's nothing you should be overly intimidated about. Um, should there, yeah, you guys do such a good that. job at mm -hmm. new vocations, you know, of, of being very realistic. And I think giving them probably more time, you know, to err on yeah. that side of caution. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't see, yeah, this, this yeah. would be such a good horse for like a play day kind of home, you know, who likes I to go agree. do the obstacle stuff. I love yes. him. You know, I wonder too, if like long-term once this rehab is complete, here's what I love about new vocations as you're always marketing the horse of where they are today. We're never over promising and under delivering at new vocations, which is so amazing and so grateful for, for anyone who adopts. But I, you know, as a, someone who has a horse with this, a similar type of situation after she had her rehab and was able to um, come back to work also a new vocations horse, I'll add you know, the sky could potentially be the limit. And I wonder if he would like enjoy endurance riding someday since he is so adventurous and very into new experiences. So I'm, I'm super curious of where this horse lands in about a year, like where he'll be. 
you could definitely do that. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we have placed a lot of horses with a lot more hardware than what um, Rockland <laughs> Silver has. <laughs> it's not really that much. Um, but, you know, some one of the fastest uh, race horses, always be Mickey, had uh, screws in a hind ankle and he set the world record. So oh. <laughs> I just it watched this horse do a rope gate. It turns out to not be. And I, I don't even like if someone did a pre-purchase on me, no one would be buying less. So be <laughs> I'm now watching this video for the third time in a row, and I'm going to show it to my thoroughbred who is not nearly as careful with his feet as this little oh. guy. <laughs> I know he's like so cautious and curious. And like, that's the one thing you can never train as a good brain. You just right. cannot mm -hmm. train that. Yeah. You have it here for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Listeners, somebody adopt this before Joy and I add him to our ever-growing stable. I mean, and here's the thing. <laughs> He's under $1,000 for adoption right now. Yes, he is a bit of a rehab. So it's going to be a, a little wait before you can really start playing heavy. But I think you'll be so surprised at where you'll end up going with him if, if you have the patience. So it's kind of the marshmallow test in a way. Like you just take the one marshmallow and if you wait long enough, you're going to have a whole bowl of them. It's going to be amazing. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, you're giving great words of advice. I appreciate that. <laughs> of course. I'll check out Rockin' Somewhere on horseadoption.com. And even if he might not be the right horse for you, there's so many horses on there that could be. So reach out to the amazing staff at New Vocations. They have thoroughbreds and standard breds. They will help you find the right horse for you. Winnie, thank you so much for joining us again today. It's always a pleasure and way to have some self-control at a sale because I know I could not. <laughs> I really know I would not be able to. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Thank you. Joy, I think we covered a lot of ground today. We went from Arabian like racing. We all over the world, all over the racing spectrum. It's like all the only thing we did talk about were... No, we still talked about thoroughbreds. Yeah, we, we did. talk about Jody. Oh, yeah. Everyone was and standard breads and Arabians. And what I really like is that <laughs> these were all listener requests. So we love, not that we do not have a ton. We have a very long potential guest list for upcoming episodes. And we're really excited to share some of the topics we want to explore, but we also really always want to know what listeners would like to hear more of. So please do not be afraid to shoot us an email, drop us a note on Instagram, hit us up on any of the retired racehorse radio social media, and let us know what you guys would like to hear. Um, what we'd also like to start doing is uh, sharing who our guests are going to be ahead of time. So if you guys have specific questions, we can start to work some of those in as well. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram, just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. I can be found on Instagram at The Horseback Writer and on Twitter at Kristen Kovach. My email is kbentley at the rrp.org. You can find me on Instagram at MisfitMare and my email is joy at horseradionetwork.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company and our partners, New Vocation Adoption Program and the Retired Resource Project. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network, part of Equine Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And always add more leg, especially in a Basel. Guys, Especially just, in a bottle. <laughs> Bye, guys.